Luke chapter 40, verses 1 to 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, let him go from Ramah, when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah, who were being exiled to Babylon. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about, and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it good and right to go. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever you think it right to go. So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah the son of Ahikam at Mizpah and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. Okay, so uh, Nebuzaradan is the man who's kind of responsible for Jeremiah. And he understands better than the Israelites do what has happened. He tells Jeremiah... The Lord promised this calamity because they sinned against the Lord and didn't do what he said. So clearly the Babylonians knew what Jeremiah was saying, seemed to buy into that. And basically, Nebuzaradan, under orders from Nebuchadnezzar, is saying to Jeremiah, you have the choice what to do. If you would like to come with me to Babylon, that's fine. If you would prefer not to and stay here in the land, that's fine. So that's an amazing opportunity for Jeremiah. Amazing that the Babylonians respected him that much to give him the option. He can, he can either accompany them back to Babylon or he can stay with the uh, ones who were, those poor people who were left to take care of the land. And Jeremiah doesn't choose to go on to Babylon, and so he is left to go back and be with Gedaliah in the land of, of Judah and Jerusalem, and that's what happens. Um, I don't know why Jeremiah chose to stay, and why he didn't go into exile. I wonder if it may have been that he felt like they really needed a prophet, to stay with them. There is a prophet or two already in Babylon, right? Who's in Babylon? Daniel and Ezekiel are both in Babylon. So maybe there's a greater need for the ones who stay there in Israel, in Jerusalem, to have a prophet among them, and Jeremiah chooses to stay. I, I don't know that for sure, but I wonder about that. Ethan? Could that be a reason they're respecting Jeremiah more and understanding what happened to Jerusalem because there were already prophets in Babylon? That could be. I don't know to what extent... Ezekiel had an influence, but Daniel may very well have had because he was in the courts. So that is a possibility. Good thought. Other questions or comments? So you don't think it's in this capture right here that 
You think Daniel is already there in Babylon? Daniel is already there in Babylon, yes. Daniel was taken in the first wave of captives in about 605. And the text says in Daniel 1, it's in the, does it say the third or fourth year of Jehoiakim. And then Ezekiel was taken in the second wave in 597. This is the final wave, so to speak. So Daniel's been there 20 years. Daniel's been there close to 20 years, that's right, yeah. So, I mean, we know that during that time he had some interaction with uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, almost certainly he had, uh, you know, given him the dream and the interpretation about the, uh, the st- statue that was hit by the rock and so forth. Other thoughts? Okay, um, so let's see. I want to do this 7 through 12. When all the captains of the forces in the open country and the men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, and children, those of the poorest of the land who had not been taken into exile to, uh, to Babylon, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Jonan, the son of Keriah, Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the son Sons of Ephi, the Netophethite, Jezaniah, the son of Maikathite, they and their men, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, son of Shaphan, swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, I will dwell at Mizpah to present you before the Chaldeans who will come to us. But as for you, gather wine and summer fruits and oils and store them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Judeans who were in Moab and among the Amorites and in Edom and in other lands heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikim, son of Shaphan, as governor over them, then all the Judeans returned from all the places to which they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and they gathered wine and some fruits in great abundance. Okay, so we have uh, these um, commanders that had been in the field. Now what I'm assuming is that we've got some uh, Jewish uh, army leaders, some insurgents, that have uh, gone to other places, other countries, sort of in uh, an amnesty situation, or asylum, I guess is the better term, situation. And so they haven't been taken into Babylon because they weren't actually in Jerusalem. These must be some, perhaps, that have left when the siege was lifted temporarily, or some that even went away before the Babylonians came. So you've got some, some, you know, Jewish uh, military leaders uh, in, you know, in other countries. And when they see what the arrangement is, that everything's fine now, get Elias the governor, Babylon's leaving them alone as long as they pay the taxes, then some of them come out of the woodwork, you know. They come back to Jerusalem, now that the threat is over, to reside there. And uh, Gedaliah talks to them in verses 9 and 10 and says, basically, you know, there's not going to be any reprisals. You guys are fine. Just, you know, 
stay here in the land, serve the king of Babylon, uh, you know, eat and drink, you know, whatever. As long as you're, you know, um, you know, behaved, then everything's going to be fine. This is kind of a reassuring, conciliatory speech, indicating that Babylon really doesn't have any intentions of trying to do any further damage. You know, they have taken the majority of people into exile. They've broken the back of the resistance. They don't have, Babylon doesn't have any motivation to leave behind a scorched earth. A scorched earth doesn't pay taxes. You know, leaving behind some of these poor people and so forth, as long as they are submissive to Babylon, they're paying taxes. You know, they're earning money for Babylon and they're not costing them much. So, this is good. So, basically, they get a lie saying, you can live a normal life. I mean, we got to respect Babylon. Babylon's in charge. But it's not really going to interfere with our daily life. So, so everything will be fine. And so, other Jews who have been in Moab, Ammon, Edom, and a bunch of other countries, they hear about this too, and they come back. So, really, now, you've got in Jerusalem, not just a handful that Babylon left behind to take care of the land. But you've got some Jews that have been in other countries that come back and join them as well. Now that the coast is clear, now that things are calm, now that it looks like there's not going to be a problem, you know, the Babylons are done fighting them, and, and the Babylonians are done fighting them, and so forth. That, that's what I see here, is, is just various people, both military leaders and other people, responding to the fact that Gedaliah is governor and coming and joining him there in Jerusalem. Comments and thoughts? Minute. Minor, but you said they came to Jerusalem? I thought mine said indicated more like the land of Judah in general. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Judah, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. And that, that region. Yeah. And they were centered in, in Mizpah. As opposed to yeah, good point. Jerusalem is smoldering now, right. so yeah, good point. That's that's better to say that. Yeah, that's which is only a few miles from Jerusalem. Right. So. Who are the Jews that were in the other countries driven away by? Is that the Jews or like the Babylonians? I would assume they have left because of the Babylonian threat. And the Babylon, remember, Nebuchadnezzar came in for the first time almost twenty years before. And took those sharp young men captives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, and so forth. And so they've been under a Babylonian cloud for 20 years. I suspect there are some Jews who felt like things would be calmer in other countries. Other thoughts? Okay. Uh, 13 to 16. Now Johanan the son of Korea and all the leaders of the forces in the open country came to get Eliab at Mizpah and said to him, Do you know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to take your life? But get Eliab, the son of Ahikam, would not believe them. Then Johanan the son of Korea spoke secretly to get Eliab at Mizpah. Please let me go and strike down Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he take your life, so that all the Judeans who are gathered about you would be scattered, and the remnant of Judah would perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Johanan, the son of Korea, You shall not do this thing, for you are speaking falsely of Ishmael. Okay. Now, look at verse 8. Two of these 
military commanders that have returned to uh, Gedaliah are Ishmael and Johanna. There are others he mentions, but the first two are the most important for our story. Because Johanan tells Gedaliah, do you realize that the Ammonite king has sent Ishmael to kill you? He is uh, tipping him off as to this plot, uh, an assassination uh, plot. There's going to be an attempt on your life that the Ammonite king has commissioned Ishmael, one of these other military commanders, to execute. So he's warning him for his own good, you know, to protect him. And, but Gedaliah doesn't, doesn't believe it. He doesn't think that's true. Um, and so Johanan says to Gedaliah secretly, let me go and kill him. You know, because we don't want you to be killed. That's not going to help at all. Um, you know, if, if you've got... Babylon appointing Gedaliah to the governor. And then the Jews, some of them, kill Gedaliah. What's Babylon going to think about that? They appointed him. So it's going to be really bad for the nation if Ishmael succeeds in assassinating him. Let me bump him off, and then there won't be a problem. But Gedaliah doesn't go for it. He says, You're just telling a lie about Ishmael. Maybe he thought Johanan was jealous, or he had a grudge against Ishmael. I don't know. People do things like that sometimes. Sometimes they will invent some tale about somebody just to, you know, discredit them or to be able to kill them, or whatever. So he doesn't believe it. He thinks he's just made this up. Johanan is saying we need a preemptive strike. There'll be disastrous consequences if Ishmael succeeds in killing you. At this point, we don't know, was Johanan making it up, or is Ishmael really going to try to kill him? We'll see that in the next chapter. Comments or questions on this? Mindy? Are we to understand that Johanan and Ishmael are both Israelites? Yes, I think so. So They are both Israelite commanders, basically. Okay, so even though Johanan says the king of Ammon sent Ishmael, so if that's true, why... Well, who knows? But we know that these guys have come from other areas. And some of the Jews came back from Ammon in 11. So I'm wondering if Ishmael, during the time, say, he had spent in Ammon, you know, maybe, maybe the king of Ammon was paying him, for all we know. But, but for whatever reason that he has uh, conspired with him to, to kill uh, Gedaliah. Other comments and thoughts on that? Ethan? They were, they were under oppression from Babylon, so it probably didn't take a whole lot of coercing to get him to want the bump him off. Yeah, you're exactly right. And who likes the king or the governor or the leader? You know, typically leaders get opposition. And uh, so, there's also more things I'm sure in the story that we don't know that might further explain some motivation. Other thoughts? Was Ammon not under Babylon rule? You know, I don't think they were yet. Assuming that this was soon after Jerusalem was conquered, 
You've got that passage we looked at in Jeremiah 21, if I'm not mistaken, where Nebuchadnezzar came to the fork in the road and he consulted the liver and did several other things and he decided to go in the direction of Jerusalem and conquer Jerusalem first. Then the text goes ahead and says later Ammon would also be conquered, but they were spared initially. So I think at this point they have not been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar yet. So Ammon basically seen an opportunity to take over. Expand the border a little bit. Perhaps so. Yeah. That may very well be the case. Is that if they can get rid of Gedaliah, then there's not much opposition to them annexing Israelite territory. Anything else? <laughs> well, what's going to happen with this? Chapter 41.